Hi guys, this is a podcast called Technically Speaking. We are a bunch of scientists and engineers and we are hoping to talk about scientific topics or topics of interest um, and have a discussion around them and see how you guys um, pick up from that in some sort of way. Uh, today's topic is, is nuclear power um, going to contribute to tackle climate change? Um, we have on the line, uh, so we have uh, Laura, we have Anika, and we have Kara and myself, um, Amina, and we are going to see how this discussion goes. So would you guys like to perhaps maybe give you an introduction about yourselves? Yeah, uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, so I've worked in the nuclear industry on and off for quite a while now, about 15 or so years. I know quite a lot about nuclear waste um, and a little bit how nuclear power technology works as well. Um, and generally stuff about the risks associated with it, the benefits of it and that sort of thing. Uh, Anika, do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm also a researcher in uh, nuclear, but I work on nuclear fusion and I look at more of the materials and engineering side of things. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm Kara. Um, I am an, an engineer by training, but I've never really worked as an engineer. Um, I've been a bit of a jack, jack of all trades, doing interdisciplinary research. Um, and I did my PhD with the nuclear decommissioning sector. So that's really about the back end of um, how we're going to clean up things. But my focus really is around um, the social side of things and social value around the communities and what nuclear energy does for people. Awesome. Right, so if we take things uh, right to the beginning, um, shall we go off by how nuclear reactors work and what sort of different technologies are available? Anika, I think that's one for you. <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks, guys. So I work with the most like uh, futuristic uh, nuclear reactors, which so none of the reactors at the moment that we have available uh, for electricity are actually nuclear fusion reactors. Um, so basically... Any nuclear reactors producing electricity at the moment are a type of reaction called a fission reaction. So they're fission reactors. Um, and that is essentially where you split atoms apart. Uh, could be different types of atoms, but typically um, uranium, which is which is split. Uh, and then thanks to good old Einstein and his E equals MC squared equation, you have a mass difference between the um, the atoms that you're splitting uh, to start with and then the products that you're left with and that mass dif difference is equivalent to to energy so that's basically the energy that's that's uh, liberated from that reaction um in the form of heat uh which we use to drive turbines etc and produce electricity so that's kind of a very very simple way of explaining how a nuclear reactor works i don't know if anyone wants to add anything that's a very bare bones uh description i know yeah, I no, came across someone who said that the most basic form of uh, describing how a nuclear reactor works is uh, imagining it as a giant kettle. So basically you heat it up and you produce steam and then the steam turns into the turbines and then that effectively produces um, energy. And the, the way that you get the heat and stuff, again, can obviously be done by fission or fusion. Fusion is what nuclear, um, Anika was talking about. So I, I have a possibly really ignorant question, because I know so little about fusion power, but did you say that also drives a turbine, right? Well, theoretically, if we ever produce a, a, a power plant that can actually produce electricity, controversial topic, I know. Um, but yeah, so essentially, I guess it would work in the same way that, yeah, you would produce, uh, generate heat 
fiber turbine with steam, et cetera, and, and produce it the same way. But I know potentially maybe people are working on more efficient technologies, et cetera, or secondary applications is a big hot topic at the moment. So not necessarily using um, the, the energy liberated to provide electricity, but maybe for other purposes. Um, so a big one at the moment is producing hydrogen. Uh, the hydrogen economy is a big buzzword that's floating around at the moment. People want to convert from traditional gas to, to hydrogen um, in the in the transition to you know a cleaner cleaner society. So that could be a potential secondary application we could use for fission or fusion reactors. Um, another kind of things could be like desalination and stuff like that. So using the heat for other things apart from just uh, electricity is something that we need to think about as well when transitioning to cleaner forms of technology and energy. Yeah, there's talk about using the steam that's generated to sort of like it's district heating, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, which I think could be a pretty cool use of it. So you've got like uh, those cooling loops, you'd have like the secondary cooling loop, I guess, that would somehow interface with uh, a grid of hot water running under the city, I guess, or town or wherever you are. I haven't heard of that before. I guess that's a question. Sorry, maybe this is a bit off topic, but uh, fission reactors tend to be in the middle of nowhere in the UK. So district heating wouldn't work as well. Do they imagine that... Uh, fusion reactors will be closer to people? I mean, I'm not sure actually. So there's a bit of a, what's the word? Uh, debate maybe, I think, yeah, debate's the word I'm looking for. So some people are pursuing this, like kind of the larger the reactor, the more energy you're mm. gonna uh, liberate and the more electricity you can produce. But there's also kind of uh, current work looking at smaller reactors uh, due to new technology that's being developed. They can actually build smaller reactors that in theory, could could generate the same amount of electricity as larger ones. So it's these uh, new high temperature superconductors that can essentially shrink down the size of your reactor. So that could be really interesting in in terms of where fusion reactors could be located uh, in the future. I think so. Then, in terms of just uh, different types of uh, nuclear energy, that's also the future of uh, fission. They're kind of saying about small modular reactors because, um, yeah. Uh, fission technologies over the decades have changed quite a lot and the UK has quite a unique setup for what they have um, so they do think going forward they will they do plan to continue building fission reactors but yeah maybe some of the small modular ones that you said. Although um, going back to the point that um, you guys were saying about um, being sort of remote the SMRs are still sorry the small modular reactors which are known as SMRs and um, they're still hoping to be quite remote they're still going to be sort of uh, right now the sort of preliminary planning that they're doing and the um, areas that they're looking at to sort of corner off for SMR uh, production and um, they're all still really remote they're they're not sort of coming inwards or anything yeah I think people are still a bit more scared of fission than fusion so maybe uh, I, can't, I can't imagine district heating working that well for a fission reactor people are scared of the radioactivity politically speaking we have a uh, uh, Rueda as well on the line who I think has a question. Yes, I have a very basic question since uh, everybody is so knowledgeable on nuclear energy. There's this uh, rumor that nuclear energy is uh, endless. So it will keep on, if you have a reactor, it will keep on generating electricity forever. Is that true? Uh, who would like to take that? I, I can start and people can jump in if they, yeah. Um, again, I might butcher this completely, but unfortunately there's no such thing as unlimited energy, even though we often use that that phrase, especially in fusion, we're very gu guilty of that thing. We have limitless energy because the, the fuels in fusion that we would use are deuterium and tritium, which are kind of isotopes of hydrogen. 
which you can kind of deuterium you can get from from seawater and uh, high, uh, the tritium you can get from from lithium, um, which is basically what's in your laptop batteries. So we often throw that phrase about, um, but in reality, nothing is is limitless. So even though the fuel for fusion might be in in a great supply, but the other kind of materials you need to build the reactor, how long they last, um, coping with those extreme conditions in the reactor, those all contribute to, to the lifetime of the reactor. And then in the fission industry, again, although you liberate huge amounts of fuel uh, from uh, huge amounts of energy from very small amounts of fuel, especially if you compare to like um, coal or other fossil fuels, for example, the actual amount of fuel you need is, is very limited. So, you, you know, it's a much higher payoff on, on the fuel side. Um, Again, you know, buildings, they get wear and tear, they break down over time, sometimes from the, you know, damage from the neutrons, heat loads, uh, and just generally getting old, like any old uh, building. Um, but I know Laura and Cara, they've evolved, you know, on the other side, the, the end of life of nuclear reactors. But I think also equally with that, people are trying to extend lives as well of, of nuclear reactors and keep them going for longer um, to make them more worthwhile too. Laura and Cara, I don't know if you want to. Yeah, I'm trying to think how how long a lot of the reactors have been around for. I'm, I, I, I want to so say some of them. Like they say years. sixty years. Yeah, sixty years. They're, they're they're trying to go for sixty years now. So now everything that's coming out, they're typically saying about sixty years. Yeah, which is a pretty long time for a, a piece of technology yeah. that's being like irradiating itself quite heavily. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess the other thing about. Um, fission reactors I'm going to keep stumbling over that word because I keep mixing up fission and fusion because I don't tend to deal with the power side of it I work well with waste from uh, all technology and that's a lot doesn't really have those phrases involved um, but I think after about sort of a couple of percent burn up from the fuel so a very small amount of uranium is converted to something else falling apart um, th those fission products start to um, affect the efficiency of um, the reactors, the amount of energy can be liberated force, the fuel then has to be taken out and then it can be recycled. So you extract those uh, fission fragments that aren't useful and you can take the other sort of 94% of uranium or whatever it is and put that into fresh fuel rods so you can keep recycling it quite often, I think. Yeah, you can. So you can uh, change the configuration of the reactor quite frequently according to how they're being irradiated and stuff. And, and so that way you extend its life eff effectively. Um, and you obviously, but you do obviously have power outages and stuff as, as, as with any sort of um, uh, power supply where they need to do maintenance and stuff. But the power outages don't seem to be too long because they kind of know what they're doing and they're kind of maintaining things along the way that, uh, alongside the way that they're going. So it, it's, it's quite efficient, really, I'd say. Um, so the big question here is if nuclear is great in, in so many ways, then what's the main problem? Why do environmentalists not like nuclear power? Why do we not have a big sort of backing of, yes, this is the future, let's go, 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 go? Um, I think that's a really good question. Um, and I think one thing that we should reference uh, in the podcast today is the International Energy, I want to say Authority, IEA? Is it I Authority? I think it's IAEA. Authority. Agency, yeah, IAEA. Not, not, not IAEA, it's the other one. I always get them too confused. So IAEA is International Atomic Energy Agency, but there's also the IEA, ah. which is the National, I want to say International Energy Authority, um, but 
let me let me just Google this as we speak. But they've had a, a flagship um, report uh, last end of last year in which they've kind of modelled its agency, its International Energy Agency. Um, mm. But yeah, so they've got this World Energy Outlook, and they've they've got these um, kind of goals and a sustainable development um, scenario. Um, and within that, going forward, of course, renewables will play a part. But they've actually said within that, that nuclear has to play um, a part in that. And I think last week also Bill Gates said something about this, that nuclear really has a key role to pay, play um, if we are to meet those kind of climate change goals. Um, because although the renewable technology is there and it, it's great, uh, it still has its issues. You know, if, if it's not windy on certain days, if it's not sunny on certain days, you don't have a stable baseload supply of energy and, and our world needs energy. Um, whether we like it or not. So nuclear really does have a, a key role to play in that. But I think obviously it does have this issue with, with public perception and maybe that goes to the social value side as well, Cara. Um, I don't know if you wanna add anything on, on the social side. Oh, I could wax lyrical about this for a long time. Um, I think there's, yeah, there's a lot to say about um, the perception of nuclear. A lot of it is to do with risk perception. I think if you go back and look at the history of it a little bit, um, when nuclear energy was kind of first being like shown around the world, started started off really in England um, of how great it was. And they kind of said, this is going to be energy that's so cheap, we'll have so much, we wouldn't even know what to do with it. And it was going to completely revolutionize society. Um, but then of course, along with that came a lot of the atomic weapon um, issues. And then there was example, like things happening, like in the bombs going off in different countries around the world. And that basically was completely conflated everyone's perception of it was um so i um I'm, my accent is very irish i'm from ireland um where we don't have nuclear power stations um but what we had in the papers a lot whenever i was growing up was that um Sellafield sits in the west coast of england which is across the sea from ireland and people in ireland constantly talked about how there was um higher illness rates on the beaches along the east coast of ireland because they said the energy was coming over and it was this very much like fear thing so i've been on that side of the fear of it um maybe that was perpetuated further by weird relations between ireland and england because there was always something another agenda coming along so it is very much these stories that get told around what people think about nuclear um but i think a lot of it's to do with the perception and i think i used to be kind of willfully ignorant to what nuclear energy potential has but i think now i've come around to the idea that yeah it kind of needs to play a role in the future going forwards and some stats that go along with that i think is that nuclear is an incredibly regulated industry and so people are very aware of what the dangers are and what um, the risk of the waste is but actually if you compare it to coal if you compare it to other fossil fuels like actually the radiation of waste is considerably less it's far more controlled um it's technically cleaner it was if you compare it to petrochemical industries, again, it's kind of like, you know, there's a lot worse things going on in the world. So I'm not saying that that makes nuclear okay, but I'm just saying, you know, that we have to kind of reframe what the discussion is. And I think a really great example of that is one of the founders of Greenpeace who are notorious for being very anti-nuclear. He now is no longer with Greenpeace and he is not an advocate for nuclear energy because he realized that when you look at the science in a different way, it kind of can be seen very differently. Um, so I think a lot of it is to do with around the messaging of what radioactivity really is and a lot of the fear. Um, so again, another story from my childhood is I'm a huge fan of The Simpsons, um, where nuclear energy plays a big role, and that would probably be, be like my biggest uh, education as a kid of what nuclear energy was. Um, and you see the three-eyed fish all the time, right? That's just kind of what the pop culture references make. And 
or Spider-Man. Like people are kind of told that radioactivity is really dangerous and that's kind of constantly what you're told. How many people have those stories around coal? Probably not many. <laughs> so that's a kind of a, a roundabout way of just kind of talking about how it's a strange, strange industry that there's lots of myths around. I, I think your point of view was is is really good. Like um so I'm from a safety background and I have to say that I was so surprised when I when I joined the safety side. I'm originally a materials person, so I wasn't really sort of aware of all of these things. But when I came into safety, the amount of precautions they're having to take on every little thing is sometimes you would stop in your tracks and you would say, my God, this is just too pessimistic. This is just not, you know, this would never happen. If you look into the history of nuclear accidents and stuff, the amount of fatalities that we've had in the nuclear industry are far less than what the fatalities have been in the coal or even in the oil and gas industry. Like it's just the fatalities comparison is just, it's ridiculous how much negativity that we have around the nuclear industry in in comparison to the other ones. if you look at all the major accidents that we've had in the nuclear industry like sort of fukushima fukushima everyone sort of says that it was a big thing but actually it was just an hydrogen explosion um if you sort of go into it and look into the details of it um so the 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 safety around the nuclear industries it's just inherently built into it so much that actually to have sort of like a nuclear accident is is it's quite slim i I think actually people who work in nuclear people who are now realizing that the messaging needs to change slightly is that they've yeah. realized that this constant like, oh, but it's safe, it's safe, it's safe. We can we can prove to you it's safe. Has it made people maybe people think like, is it safe? Really? You know, yeah. like why are you trying to reassure us so much? Um yeah. and there is definitely something around that they need to kind of rethink oh, how they're doing that message. That's too much. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that like, yeah, kind of I yeah, no, I agree with that. I think you've both put that really well. And yeah, that, the thing is like, yeah, there's no such thing as like a clean resource or anything that's guilt-free or without any issues at some point during the supply chain like even solar panels for example the kind of heavy metals and toxic chemicals associated with that or disposing of that I think is is pretty horrendous um actually but no one really seems to go on about that I'm not saying we shouldn't have solar panels but I'm I'm, it's just as you say it's a perception thing that there's no such thing as uh you know completely clean or completely perfect uh utopian energy source there just there just isn't we just have to make the best um of what we have basically yeah i think the 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 correct information needs to be out there for people to make an informed decision right and i think it's very difficult to take some information in when like feelings and social consciousness and stuff like that gets in the way because i think as cara pointed out there are all these ideas about the nuclear industry that persist in the media and in society that kind of skewed the conversation quite a lot. I, I was anti-nuclear as a as a kid. Um, yeah, so I think it's yeah, I think it's pretty common because uh, I was one of these like Greenpeace hippie kids, and I was like, yeah, 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 no, no nuclear, but somehow ended up going into nuclear eventually. <laughs> uh, somewhere along the line, something something changed and, and clicked. Um, um definitely think it's all about perception like uh, the amount of stem events i've done and i've had people or even kids as well as parents come up and be like what is it with this industry why do you work in this industry it's just it's not safe and you have like a 10 minute conversation with them and they walk away and think actually that's pretty good so it's just it is just about a matter of just getting out there speaking to people addressing their concerns and hopefully podcasts like this will help that Mm -hmm. um so can i also please ask one sort of 
big question. So nuclear power also produces a lot of waste. We can't deny that. Um, it's great. It's um, really a, a sort of like we've spoken about fatalities and um, inherent safety being built into it and those kind of things. It's, it's great in some aspects, but then it also does produce um, nuclear waste. So um, what are your thoughts on that? How, how is the risk uh, of the nuclear power sort of versus the nuclear waste that it produces and how we manage with it and um, what it means for the generations to come? Well, I, the amount of waste that's produced from the industry is actually quite small in terms of volume compared to just like the waste that's generated in the UK in a year. Like household waste volumes are far bigger than nuclear waste volumes um, annually. Yeah. Um, admittedly there are possibly more risks associated with waste from the nuclear industry but it depends on exactly what that waste is not all waste is radioactive from nuclear and uh, there are different levels of radioactivity as well um i think someone did some maths on this and the amount of the high level waste so the stuff that we class as really dangerous that were produced um for the lifetime of our person um is like a disc that would fit into my hand uh, i wouldn't necessarily pick it up because it'd be really radioactive but that gives you an idea of um the, the sort of waste volumes that are generated um and in terms of managing it i mean the nuclear industry in the uk has been around for decades since like the 50s if not earlier and so we've got all this experience of how to manage the waste and how to do it safely um the big question is how to dispose of it i think and that's something that Radioactive Waste Management Limited is currently looking at. So the idea is that a, a host community will uh, come forward to volunteer to um, host a repository. So the waste will be buried underground. It'll be far away from people where it can't be um, um, interacted with by us. Um, and it will be sealed off from the environment. And then uh, we can not have to think about it so much. I don't know if Anika and Cara have got anything to add to that. Um, well, I think you kind of covered both things, really, talking about it, um, that back end of the waste. I think, um, so a couple of points to make, I guess. One is really around, it. most countries do do it quite well. They have got things saved quite well. In the, in the US, they have things in big concrete tankers sitting in car parks, but they are generally kind of, you know, keeping an eye on it. But there are stories, definitely, where some countries where there's illegal waste management that happens, and I think things have been turning up on the beaches of Sudan like these big kind of like big canisters full of nuclear waste where so there is definitely challenges around this it's not being managed well but it's in comparison to the coal industry which pumps out like who knows how much like volumes of coal waste into the air all the time but I think um, in terms of the whole supply chain of waste I think so sometimes there is arguments around if you look at the whole life cycle cost modeling of like building a plant like the amount of cement or concrete that goes into it is, is a lot but a really forgotten part of the supply chain is actually uranium mining and I think that's definitely where there's actually some challenges around waste management that people maybe don't consider enough from what the limited amount that I know of it I think a lot of it comes from countries um where maybe or communities where they aren't protected enough I know a lot of it comes from Native American land in the U.S. or Kazakhstan and is it somewhere in a, in a Nigeria possibly and Australia so Australia maybe managed Australia, like that. Yeah. Australia and Canada so yeah in these places depending on how well those communities are supported and regulated there maybe isn't so many challenges but there is definitely some communities who've been left with a long-standing problem where their minds have been left essentially but they are being exposed to natural radiation so kind of maybe not as immediately dangerous um, but it is definitely an issue that I think is not discussed enough in the UK. 
Right. So the talk at the minute is that um, we won't necessarily reprocess our waste at the minute to um, extract the useful uranium um, because uranium mining is so um, cheap, it's cheaper to buy it from somewhere else than it is to recycle it. Do you think that might change if the mining practices change? Yeah, but um, kind of Indica, you hinted at it before, talk about solar panels. If you look at the electronics industry generally, I think where a lot of valuable materials come from, they don't have to care about their social practices around their minds. So I'm not sure how quickly uranium will become more expensive, unfortunately, even if it is in Canada and Australia where the industries might be a bit more regulated, they aren't really when it comes to mining things. Um, so I, I don't know actually, but I'm a bit, I'm a bit cynical about that possibly. <laughs> Maybe if that came under regular sort of nuclear um, regulations and stuff, perhaps it would sort of get picked up because as far as everything else is concerned for nuclear, it's so heavily regulated that um, sometimes it seems a bit excessive. So maybe the, the, the angle should be to include the mining all the way down to um, decommissioning rather than just sort of looking at the lifeline of um, producing the energy all the way up into decommissioning. Because that's what we essentially, uh, we, we look at right now. It's We don't really sort of include the mining and stuff into it. Yeah, I agree, actually. I'm not sure why. I thought because I worked yeah. in decommissioning, I didn't really meet people who worked in that side of it, but maybe they do. Maybe maybe it's not included generally. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think that's been a very useful discussion. Um, and uh, if we hope to post this online and have a discussion around this, maybe we can have some questions and we can address some questions some more. Um, and... I hope that you enjoyed this discussion and uh, we shall see you soon. Bye.